them into Pharaoh's cups and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. Thank you, Lord. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and to get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favourable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation, the three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds of the air will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Let's pray a minute, shall we? Father, we thank you for what you're doing amongst us this morning already. And we thank you for the power of your word. So Father, please take your word this morning and speak to each one of us and accomplish what you desire in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've called this morning's talk, and you see that part of it bears to this title, but not all of it, but part of it, Joseph in prison difficult times. Joseph in prison, difficult times. Now I'm not going to get you to put your hand up if you've been through difficult times, but if I did say to you, put your hand up if you've never been through difficult times, I can almost guarantee there'll be no hands go up. The reason being that every human being on this planet, believer and non-believer, at some time in their life goes through difficult times. Everybody. Why? It's quite simple, isn't it? We live in a fallen world. The world is fallen. Sin has come into the world. Because we live in a fallen world and sin has come in, every single human being at some stage or another in their life goes through difficult times. But here's the interesting thing. Maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't. But here's the interesting thing. Believers go through harder times than non-believers. Let me say that again. Believers go through harder times than non-believers. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and we've got an enemy. And the moment we say, Lord, I want to grow. Lord, I want to go on with you. Lord, I want to be available to you. Bang, there's a red light goes on in the kingdom of darkness that says, there's my target. The Christians that aren't going through any difficult times, and I don't mean this unkindly, but the Christians who aren't going through any difficult times at all are Christians who are not growing. So if you and I are going through difficult times this morning, take encouragement. It's part of the growth. And we'll take encouragement shortly from Joseph and we'll see that. Listen, it shouldn't be a surprise to us we go through difficult times. You need to turn to these verses, but just listen. James 1, chapter two, James 1, 2-4. 
Count it all joy, my brothers. I wish I could say I did that. I don't. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Note that. It's not one trial, it's trials of various kinds. Some versions say temptations of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Peter, chapter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice. I don't always. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What's various trials? It's one after another, isn't it? We're hit by one thing and that one thing just goes and we're hit by another and then we're hit by another. Various trials. We should not be surprised when we experience various trials and various temptations. You know, the danger with the story of Joseph when we read it is we know how it ends, don't we? And because we know how it ends, sometimes we can miss the fact that Joseph was a slave. And Joseph was in prison. Listen, the Genesis account tells us that Joseph was put in the pit at age 17. It tells us that he became before Pharaoh at age 30. Now you don't have to be much of a mathematician to realise that's 13 years in slavery and in prison. This was not a five minute passing difficult time, was it? We don't know how long he was a slave. We know that he was at least in prison for two years. It doesn't tell us exactly how long. But we do know for 13 years. So Joseph went from the freedom of sonship to becoming a slave to becoming a prisoner. He went through difficult times. He went through very, very difficult times. But God met him in those difficult times. And part of the thing of the Joseph story, I want you and I to be encouraged today that God will meet you and me in the difficult times. Not on the mountaintop. Yes, God meets us with on the mountaintop. Jesus one day took the disciples and summoned them onto the mountain transfiguration. They had a fantastic time. Did they stay there? No, we know they didn't. A little time later, they were fleeing from Jesus, weren't they? That's extremes, isn't it? We don't stay on the mountaintop. God will allow us now and again to have the mountaintop experience, but we don't stay on the mountaintop because God says, I want my people to grow. Hallelujah. I want my people to prove me. And how can we prove God if we never go through the difficult times? It's impossible. What pushes us into God? The difficult times. What pushes us into God? The temptations. What pushes us into God when everything's going wrong, isn't it? And God says we shouldn't be surprised if we go through various trials, various temptations. And Joseph had gone through a massive temptation, hadn't he, with Potiphar's wife. And I think it wouldn't be reading too much into Scripture to say when Joseph sat in that prison cell and has got time to think, I am certain, although Scripture doesn't say it, I am certain Joseph must have been bombarded with the temptation for bitterness, for the temptation for anger, for the temptation for resentment, and to cry out to God saying, what are you doing, Lord? Have you been there? I've been there. Have you been there? 
where in your heart you cry out to God and you say, what are you doing? Have you been there? It doesn't say Joseph said that. It doesn't say he experiences it. But I'm certain he must have been tempted. He didn't, he didn't go for them, did he? He never became bitter. He never became angry. He never became angry at God. He remained firm. But listen, these were difficult times for Joseph. Difficult times for Joseph. Here's the first encouragement, I hope. God works in the middle of a difficult time. God will use us in the middle of a difficult time. Lord, when I get out of this difficult time, I know you'll use me because I'll feel free, I'll feel happy, I'll be okay. God says, no, I'll use you now in the difficult time. You're in a depression, I'll use you now in the depression if you let me. You're in heaviness, I'll use you now in the heaviness if you'll let me. You're bombarded with temptations, God says, I'll use you now if you will let me. And Joseph was in prison. And we've been hearing a lot, haven't we, about the bigger picture. Amazing. The big, what was the bigger picture for Joseph? We know, we've heard it. The bigger picture for Joseph was God wanted to save the Israelites from starvation. That's the bigger picture. It wasn't about Joseph, it was about the bigger picture. And the bigger picture than that was Jesus and our salvation, wasn't it? That's massive. Joseph wouldn't have seen that. And you and I don't see the bigger picture for us, and I'll come on to that shortly. But Joseph was a part of a bigger picture. Now listen to how God is an amazing God and take encouragement when you're in the midst of a difficult time. You see, God needed to get Joseph in front of Pharaoh to speak to Pharaoh. Now if you and I had been around at that time and we'd sat down with a little plan and thought, now how can I manage to get in front of Pharaoh? I think we'd have spent quite a long time trying to plan this out, don't you? Because not everybody would have had access to the ear of Pharaoh, would they? And God wanted to get Joseph in front of Pharaoh. How did he do it? Well, we know how he did it. The baker and the butler were put in prison. What's significant about the butler? The butler had access, the cupbearer rather, had access to Pharaoh. He had Pharaoh's ears. And what does God do? He says, I'll take this man who's got access to Pharaoh and I'll put him into prison. And Joseph might be in the midst of a difficult place, but he's going to have a God encounter, isn't he? He's going to have a God encounter. You and I can have God encounters in the middle of a difficult place. Watch out for them. Ask God for them. A God encounter in the midst of a difficult place. Did Joseph's God encounter with the cupbearer mean he was suddenly set free? We know it wasn't. The end of the chapter says that the cupbearer forgot about him for two years. Another hit on Joseph. Various trials, it's like bang, 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 bang. And if that isn't enough, Joseph, I'll hit you again. But it was part of the bigger picture, wasn't it? But here's something else that's wonderful about Joseph. See, in the midst of that difficult situation... God was preparing Joseph and causing his gifting to increase and mature. What do I mean by that? If you go back to, I think it's Genesis 37, God gives Joseph two dreams. And Joseph just tells what the dreams are. What happens in prison? God doesn't give Joseph the dreams. God gives the dreams to the, to the cupbearer and to the baker. 
And they come to Joseph and say, these are the dreams. And Joseph says, I can't interpret. God can. What is, God, what is Joseph now doing? He's moved from the position of just receiving dreams to now he's interpreting the dreams. Do you see that? He's grown. But not only has he grown, this is preparation for Pharaoh. Listen, it wouldn't, I don't think, have been life-threatening if Joseph had got those dreams wrong when he told the baker and the cupbearer, would it? I don't think that would have been life-threatening. But, whoa, if Joseph came before Pharaoh and got those dreams wrong, that's a different matter, isn't it? And God says, I want to get you there. But to get you there, I've got to take you from here to here. Then from here to here, and from here to here, and to there. And when you get there, I want to take you there. Are we ready for that? Are we prepared for that? Because each step will be a step of faith, hallelujah. Each step, God will say, I want you to trust me a little bit more. And so Joseph's progressing, isn't he? He's progressing. So I said earlier that Joseph's in a difficult place. How did he deal with that difficult place? Joseph had three things. And if we'll apply these three things, they won't take us out of the difficult place, but they will help us in the difficult place. You see, God doesn't immediately always take us out of the difficult place, does he? I don't know if this is true, but I heard this recently. So let's assume it's true. I heard the fact that a chicken, when it's hatching out of an egg, if someone came to help that chicken hatch out the egg, the chicken wouldn't survive. It needs to hatch out by itself. Now whether that's true or not, the principle is there that God needs to put us in situations sometimes where we'll depend on him and learn to fly. What's that wonderful story? I remember hearing a message years ago about the eagle. You know, is it in Isaiah about the eagle? Yeah? The eagle throwing the birds out the nest. And we say, God, you're a God of love. You, you throw me out the nest. That's our natural thinking, isn't it? That's when we click in and say, God, what are you doing? And God says, I know exactly what I'm doing. I love you. I'm going to teach you how to fly. But to teach you how to fly, I might just have to throw you out the nest. I might just have to throw you out of your comfort zone. Are we ready for that? You see, naturally speaking, we want to stay in our comfort zone. I want to stay in my comfort zone. None of us like getting out of our comfort zone. Our comfort zone might be small. For others of us, our comfort zone might be huge. But it's still our comfort zone. And God says, I want to take you outside the comfort zone because then I can teach you to fly. Hallelujah. It's not easy though, is it? Not easy. Let's go into Genesis 39. And let's start to see these three things that Joseph had. And if we will apply them, they're quite simple things, the things that we know. But if we will apply them, they won't take us out the difficult time necessarily. I say that necessarily because sometimes we're in a difficult time because the enemy is just fighting against us and through prayer and help from the body, we can see real victory straight away, can't we? But sometimes that's not the case. So here's the three things. Let's have a look. Let's go back to 39 verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. Here's the first thing. 
But the Lord was with Joseph. Well, that is so simple and yet so profound, isn't it? God was with Joseph in the prison. See that? God wasn't with Joseph outside of the prison. God wasn't with Joseph outside of Joseph's difficulties. God wasn't with Joseph outside of the pain Joseph potentially was going through. No, God was with Joseph in the prison. Listen to this wonderful verse, you'll know it. It's Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you shall not be burned. When you pass through the waters, I'll stand on the bank and watch you go by yourself. No. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you there. Hallelujah. You remember that story of uh, Meshach Abednego and uh, who's the other one? Shadrach. And the thrown into the fire. We know it well, but the thrown into the fire. And there's a picture of a fourth person which we believe was Jesus. Where was Jesus? He was in the fire with them. So here's the first encouragement. When you and I go through hard times, we can say to God, I thank you, Lord, that you are with me in this. You are with me in this depression. You are with me in this hurt. You are with me in this onslaught of temptations. You are with me in this bondage that I've been praying to get free from and haven't seen freedom of yet. You are with me in it. And when we go through hard times, that's one of the most difficult things that we to remember, isn't it? Because what do we naturally think up here? We might not necessarily verbalise it, but what do we naturally think? We think God's a million miles away, don't we? Why do we think that? Because he feels a million miles away. And God says, no, I'm with you in it. So there's the first key. When we go through difficult times, we start to acknowledge that God is with us in it. In it. Here's the second one. It doesn't come immediately apparent from the verses I've read to you, but you'll see how it fits in a minute. The second one is, Joseph had... God's word. Now you might say, well, how did Joseph have God's word? Because there's nothing in the verses you've just read that tells me Joseph has God's word. Well, we go back to Genesis 37 and what did God do? He gave him two visions, didn't he? God gave to Joseph his word. How do we know that that word was still burning in Joseph's heart? I'll tell you how we know. Because when the cupbearer and the baker came and said, I've had dreams, Joseph immediately says, God will interpret. If Joseph had lost confidence in those dreams that had been given to him, he would not have had the confidence to interpret. Because the two cannot go together. Joseph had got the word of God in prison. Now, there's a key here that I think is vital. I've been thinking this recently, and I will say to my shame, I don't do this as much as I should. But it's an important key. Now, what most of us do when we go through difficult times is we pray. And we say, Lord, whatever. Get me out of this, change this, do this, whatever it might be. But we pray, don't we? Most of us, when we're in difficult times, 
one of the main things we do is pray. Well, I believe God would say to you and me, I don't want you to just pray in the difficult times. I want you to sow my word into the difficult time. Let me explain that. You see, if there's no sowing, there's no reaping. Julian's a gardener, we know that. You imagine me going up to Julian and saying, Julian, I can't understand it. I've been coming out every morning to look for these flowers coming up in the garden. And they're not coming up. And Julian might say to me, well, when did you plant the seeds? And I'll say to him, I didn't plant any seeds. Now we smile because we know how silly that is. That if you don't sow, you won't reap. But listen, how often do we think in the spiritual realm we'll reap when we don't sow? We have to sow to reap. It's a principle in God's word. Sow, you reap. Don't sow, you won't reap. So what do we sow? We sow God's word. How do we sow God's word? I believe there's two main ways we can sow God's word. Here they are. The first way is meditation. What does that mean? We just think of God's word over and over and over in our thoughts. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out. What am I doing? I'm sowing God's word and getting it from there to there. You see, while it's there, it won't change me. When it gets from there to there, it becomes life. And Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. And when it gets from there to there, it becomes life and it does something. We sow. How else do we sow God's word? I believe another way we sow God's word is by verbalizing it. Let's take that verse again. There's no fear in love. So I'm in a difficult time. I'm going through terrible fear. So I say, Lord, I'm going to sow your word. Father, I thank you that there's no fear in your love. But right now, your love is driving out my fear. What am I doing? I'm sowing the word of God. If we will sow the word of God, this is really, really important. If, it's up to us, God won't make us. If we will sow the word of God, we will reap the harvest. How can I be so 100% certain on that? Because it's a principle of God's word. So, you reap. If we sow God's word, we will reap the benefits of God's word. That's the second thing. What's the third thing? Well, let's go back to Genesis 39. And we'll see the third thing in that same verse, verse 20. Genesis 39, verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper. Where else have we read that word favour? Well, we know, don't we? We read it in the account of Potiphar. God gave Joseph favour. Now you and I might say, hold on a minute. I can accept that God will give me favour when I'm living the life I think I should be living. But when things aren't quite as they should be, I'm not so sure God will give me his favour. Well, what does it say in 2 Peter chapter 3 towards the end? It says this, grow in grace. At the beginning of Romans chapter 5, it says this. It talks about standing in the grace. So we stand in the grace and we grow in the grace. What is grace? We know what grace is. Undeserved favour. 
Undeserved favour. David, you've got God's undeserved favour on you right now. And it will never be removed from you. Steve, you've got God's undeserved favour on you right now and it will never, ever be removed from you. Why will it never be removed from any of us as believers? Because favour cannot be earned. Grace can't be earned. If we think we can earn God's grace, it's not grace. Now, isn't that wonderful? When we're in that difficult time and our thoughts probably haven't been as they should be, our words probably haven't been as they should be, we've got angry, we've got annoyed, or whatever it might be. And we think, Lord, I've done it again, I've blown it. But thank you, Lord, I'm going to draw on your favour, your grace. He's a God of all grace. And we are living under and in grace. And God says, stand fast in my grace and grow in my grace. Listen, are we standing fast in the grace of God? Or are we being moved away from it? You say, can we be moved away from it? Yes, read Galatians, chapter, uh, Galatians book of Galatians. Wonderful book of the temptation to move from grace unto law. What's law? I do something to God to earn God's favour. That's law. If you and I this morning are trying to earn God's favour, we're under law. No question. You say, Lord, you mean like uh, I've got to do this and love my brother? and everything? No. Anything we do, anything. If I pray three hours a day to earn God's favour, I'm under law. If I come to every meeting at church, please don't misunderstand this, but if I come to every meeting at church to earn God's favour, I'm under law. Law isn't about bad things, it can be good things. But if I'm doing it to earn God's favour, I'm under law. And God says, come out of law and realise my grace. It's undeserved. Are you living in grace? Am I living in grace? Right now, whatever situation we're in, we can say, Father, I'm in your grace, your favours towards me. That's the third thing in the difficult place. God's with us, God's word's with us, and his favours towards us. Hallelujah. I want to finish by making a statement that we've all heard many times. And I know that every one of us here knows it up here, but I want to just expand on it just for a few minutes, Okay. You see, Joseph was part of a bigger picture. God had got a massive plan for Joseph. How many times have we heard this? God's got a plan for you and me. We know it up here. Joseph was important to God. You and I are important to God. We know it up here, don't we? God needs you and me. When I say needs you and me, he's chosen it that way. I want you to just bear with me a second. I want you to imagine something, okay? You'll see where I'm going with this. Hopefully it'll help. I want you to imagine that in my hands I'm holding a box. On this box is a wonderful picture that you could see because I'm holding it up so you can see it. And this wonderful picture is of a mountain scene. It could be any scene you like, but a mountain scene, okay? But it's a beautiful picture, this box. And I say to you, listen, inside this box there are 5,000 jigsaw pieces. I hate jigsaws, I haven't got the patience. But there's 5,000 jigsaw pieces. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this jigsaw and I'm going to get you to come and see it. Is that okay? And you say, yeah, that's fine. Just let me know when you put on the jigsaw picture and I'll come and see it. I can see what it's going to be like on the box, but I'd like to see the real thing. 
A week later, I've been spending hours and hours and hours and hours on this jigsaw. I finished it. And I say to you, listen, I finished that jigsaw. Come and have a look. And you come and have a look. And you look at it. It's on the table. And you look at it. You've seen it on the box. You look at it. And your face drops. And you look at me and you say, that's not quite right. What do you mean it's not quite right? Well, it's not finished. What do you mean it's not finished? There's one piece missing. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's only a piece of sky. It was just sort of white. Nothing on it. It was only that size. I've done the 4,999. doesn't matter about that one piece. Yes, it does. Why does it matter? Because the picture isn't complete without it. What's God saying to you and me this morning? The picture isn't complete without you and me. If you think you are exempt from God's plan, think of that jigsaw picture. You're not. God needs you and me. God needs you and me in the bigger picture. We are all important. It doesn't matter whether it's a plain bit of sky or a marvellous bit of the mountain. It doesn't matter. We're all needed. But there's something else about that jigsaw that's very important. You see, that missing piece, if I tried fitting it in down there, it wouldn't have fitted, would it? Why wouldn't it have fitted? Because it's not meant to go there. And when you and I try and push ourselves into a position in the body of Christ that isn't meant for you and me, we won't fit. But here's the wonderful thing. When you and I just allow God to place us in the position that he wants us in, bang, things happen. I want to say that again. When you and I allow God to put us in the position he wants us in in the body of Christ, things fit and things happen. Things happen. Now I just want to say one thing as we come to a close that's gonna, that will shout against this, okay? See, I express that we all know up here we're important. We all know up here that we're needed. But a lot of Christians, I think it is true to say, have not got the fact that I am important here. A lot of Christians have not got the fact that I am needed here. Why? Because there are giants keeping us out. Let me explain that. Do you remember the wonderful story of the Israelites in the wilderness? And God brings them to the edge of the uh, promised land. And he sends 12 spies in, doesn't he? We know the story really well. He sends 12 spies in. And what do the spies come back with? The message. They say it's a fantastic land. The fruit's wonderful. Here's the evidence of it. It's amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey, just as God said. But we saw a people that were stronger than us. And we saw giants. Some versions says uh, Nephilim or something like that. But it's the same thing. We saw giants. What does that mean? It means the giants kept the Israelites out of the promised land. Do you realize that? Rather than looking at God, they'd seen the giants. And the giants kept them out Goliath what happened with Goliath he's a giant and we read that the Israelites saw Goliath and what did they do they fled with fear they fled with fear till David came on the scene now here's the one giant that I believe the Lord would have me share this morning one giant that I believe will keep you and me from knowing from here to here that we're really important and the one giant that will keep you and me from knowing from here to here that God's got purpose for it. Are you ready? 
is the giant of rejection. The giant of rejection. You see, with rejection, there is always accompanying pain. You can't have rejection without pain. If there's rejection, there's pain. And it's a little bit like Goliath. You see, what happens is we're moving forward in God, we're moving forward in God, and bang, up comes the threat of being rejected, and what do we do? We run from it. Lord, I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Want... Oh, wait a minute. If I move in the gifts of the Spirit, I might get it wrong and I might be rejected. Vroom. Lord, I want to witness. This is one for me. I'm being personal with you this morning. This is one for me. I want to witness. I want to witness. Lord, I want to witness. Why don't I witness? Because I'm worried what they might think of me. What's that? Rejection. I've got to deal with that. I'm being honest. With rejection, there's pain, and it's a giant, and that rejection will stop you and me from going in and inheriting the land. And God says, I want my people to inherit the land. It's there. But are we going to let the giant of rejection keep us out? The giant of rejection will stop you from knowing you are important. The giant of rejection will stop you knowing that God's got a purpose for your life. And God says, I want you free from rejection. Now, not every believer here has a problem with rejection. But because the Lord's laid that on my heart, I genuinely believe there are people in this meeting this morning and you have a problem with rejection. And most of the time you're fine. Most of the time you're fine. Until you start moving forward in a certain direction and bang, up pops that giant of rejection. And what do you do? You run from it. Why do you run from it? Because you don't want the pain. Because rejection and pain go together. And God says, I want you free. I want you free. You see, there was one man, wasn't there, called David. And this is wonderful. This is encouraging. And he stood up and he looked at the giant Goliath. Here's the giant Goliath. And unlike the rest of the Israelites that have fled in fear, David looks at the giant Goliath. And do you know what David says? David says, this day, today, the Lord has given you into my hand. Hallelujah. Are we going to say that about rejection? If you're suffering with rejection... And you will know, as I've shared this morning, whether it pops up and stops you moving forward. If you're suffering with rejection, are you willing to say to the Lord, this day, Lord, you've given that into my hand. It might be a process from this point. It might be a process. But are we willing to say, this day? Because if we don't, rejection will hem us in. God says, I want my people free. I want my people free. So God says three things in the difficult time. He's with us. We've got his word. We've got his grace. God says you're important. Everybody's important in my body. I've got a purpose. Mary, God's got a special purpose for you that nobody else can do. Margaret, God's got a special purpose for you that no one else can do. And I could say that to everyone. You could say that to me because it's truth. Do we believe that? We're part of a bigger picture? Well, listen, if we believe that, are we going to let the giants, whatever they might be in this case, the giant of rejection, stop us moving forward? This is serious business, folks. God says, I want my people free. I want my people to inherit land. Let's pray.